You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there and thank you for downloading The Agenda's podcast from the 2nd of November. And we discussed co-working on the programme today after the much-fated office-sharing company WeWork announced that it's closing some of its buildings around the world. So did COVID kill co-working or is it just a WeWork problem? We got analysis from Hamish Troon from Colliers. He's written a report on co-working in the UAE. And we also heard from Hamza Khan, one of the founders of a local co-working company called Let's Work. Meanwhile, we asked you which navigation system you're using to get around town. With all the congestion we're seeing right now, I am relying on mostly ways to get me out of the jams. But now there is a new sat-nav in town and it's been created by the team behind the ride-hailing service Yango. We found out more about Yango Maps with their product head Evgeny Shilnikov. And artificial intelligence has been getting a bit of bad press of late, but we've got a good news story for you because new research shows that AI is nearly twice as good as humans at grading the aggressiveness of a particular rare form of cancer. We got into that with oncologist Professor Humaid Al-Shamsi. Meanwhile, there'll be a new sport on display at the Paris Olympics next year, and it involves men and swimming pools. Producer Jennifer Crichton went on a mission to find out more with US athlete and former Cirque du Soleil performer Bill May. And Mariah Carey has officially declared Christmas open. But how much does she make each year from replays of her famous song? Producer Jennifer Crichton found out. And Chris McCarty joined us with all the latest news from the Cricket World Cup. Welcome back to The Agenda. Now, as I mentioned in my openers just there, office sharing company WeWork is closing some of its buildings around the world. Now, that is according to the BBC. Earlier this week, that news organisation also suggested that the company, which was once valued at $47 billion, could soon file for bankruptcy. Now, we've been looking into this and it isn't yet known whether their offices here in the UAE will close. We have uh, attempted to get in touch with them, but they have not responded to our requests for comment. A quick check of their website suggests that they do still have availability in both Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Now, you might remember that uh, this story about WeWork was recently the subject of a drama. Have you seen it? It was starring Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway. It was called We Crashed. Have a listen to this. What do you care about? Who are you happiest? Make a business out of that feeling. What do you think when I say workspace? Cubicles, ugly furniture, bad fluorescent lighting, death. Exactly. We need a name. We. We live. We dream. We work. It is a very good programme. I would recommend it uh, for weekend viewing. And uh, that, you know, that TV series, plus naturally the, the story itself, has got us thinking about how on earth a company worth quite so much money, you know, riding that wave of co-working popularity pre-COVID, is now apparently struggling to even stay afloat. Is it a reflection of 
the enduring popularity of working from home that, frankly, we don't want to go into offices anymore, even fun, flexible ones. Um, and yeah, we're asking the question, did COVID kill co-working? That's our question to you. Please do get in touch if you're a co-worker or if you used to be, 4001. Or you can WhatsApp me, 04871 Please do join the conversation. If I manage to figure out how to do it, I'll stick it up on social media as a poll as well, at my 1038FM. But let's find out first what an expert thinks. I'm joined on the line by Hamish Troon. He is a director for the investment management company Colliers and also an author, conveniently, of a report on co-working in the UAE. Hamish, good afternoon for you, isn't it? Because you're in Australia now. It is, yeah. Good uh, good morning, good afternoon, Georgia. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you join us. Now, let's sort of go back in history a little bit, because when did co-working first become popular? And, and why was it, do you think? Was this back in 2019 or was it even earlier? Well, we essentially saw it become a lot more prominent uh, in 2018, 2019, well before COVID. Um, You know, it's always been an element of business for traditional operators like Regis, who were, you know, 20, 30 years old, but they just had an increasing number of competitors uh, and increase in demand from just, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months prior to COVID and obviously um, we had an effects from there, and 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 since then it's um, been a, a changing structure. But um, look, over the last five or six years, it's just grown exponentially. Was it a big market here in the UAE? You know, did we did we grab it with both hands in the way that you know we we love a trend in Dubai, we love a new trend, uh, and we love being young and youthful and cool. Uh, is was it was it very popular here? Overall, it was uh, it was very minuscule. When you compare it to other global um, major locations like New York, uh, like London, Shanghai, Singapore, Hong Kong, it was just touching uh, the surface. But um, it, it has grown substantially since then, but it was due to a number of reasons. There was uh, regulatory framework and complex licensing um, issues. Uh, there was also there was an unknown of how it would work and uh, and just selling the model. So I think companies and operators have adapted since then and they've understood exactly what uh, what you can get out of out of co-working where you can collaborate with others where you've got the the services, you've got you know multi-location access points, uh, high speed internets, and just a general feeling of being more productive. but yeah, this has taken some time to to actually sell the message to Dubai, UAE, and and the Greater Middle East. What type of facilities can people expect in these co working offices? Because I think for many of us, it, it's a bit of an anathema. I've I've never been into one. I I don't really know what they're like. I, can, I mean, I can guess. You know, they're bean bags and table tennis tables, but yeah, or, or maybe not. But you know, what is it that that people were attracted to about co working? So it's more than just an office for most businesses. Um, you know, you, you you go in, you've got a separate meeting room, which can be part of your um, membership or that can be arranged separately. You've got uh, collaboration, as I said before, with other members. So these are just startups. These are freelancers. These are multinational corporations. Uh, you've also got access to um, what they call sort of fun exercises. So there might be some yoga programs, um, gym memberships, uh, special uh, speeches from, you know, professionals who come in and, and they would hire maybe once a week to, to, to do a, a certain um, talk on a subject. 
Um, there would be uh, a lot of uh, networking events and initiatives that are brought forward. So it is more than just a nine to five place to do business. Um, you know, you, you can sort of go above and beyond in terms of um, the extracurricular activities as well. So do you think that it is now bouncing back both here in the UAE and further afield? You know, now that we've all got over germs and COVID and, and you know, wanting to hide away from other people, you know, self, self-isolating, do you think that it will build up again or do you think it was just a trend for the I mean, what do we describe? It? I suppose it'd be the the early two thousand, the early twenty. Oh goodness knows, the early twenty twenties. No, I think it's it's definitely here to stay. Flexibility is the key. So a lot of the corporations just see it as a, a massive win. There's no long term contracts, no lock in contracts. Uh, there's all the fees are confirmed up front, so it's really helpful with budgeting. Um, you, as I said, you've got that collaboration with the other users, and you can keep it private or you can be part of a hot desk as well. Uh, and you, flexibility just comes down to how often people want to be in the office. You're only paying for what essentially you utilise. So if a company's growing or they're downsizing for whatever reason, you've got that aspect to, to take advantage of. You know, you, globally, we're about 20,000 um, spaces in, 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 the, in the markets. And, um, yeah, that, that, that number has diminished in the last sort of six to 12 months. But uh, we predict that that would um, exceed 25,000 over the next 10 years. So it's going to bounce back. Is that twenty five thousand office locations, not not desks? No, these are these are co working spaces. Okay, these the are, big spaces. These are locations, correct? Yeah. Um, okay, so if it's bouncing back, what did WeWork get wrong? I mean, there's probably loads of things that they've got wrong, but but if if you know, in in a recovering market, and they had such a good foothold, you know, why is it not working for them? Do you think they were incredibly ambitious? They grew a lot quicker than in any other of the multinational operators that were incredibly successful. Uh, they almost cannibalized themselves in certain markets. We found that in parts of Hong Kong and Singapore where they almost grew too quickly and were competing with themselves. And their model was working to some extent and a lot of the other competitors have actually utilized that model, but they've just gone down a different um, trajectory in terms of the locations that they go in and, and the number of spaces that uh, they want to operate in one particular city and, and the speed that they want to um, cover cover that location. So, look, they, they've got a really good model, but it, it just comes down to sort of ambitious and, and an interesting head of, uh, head of the company as well. I mean, they, uh, they also looked at the co-living uh, arrangement as well, which certainly didn't take off, but it still has the potential of, you know, living in communal uh, areas, which Dubai has already looked at in some some capacity, but um, that was planned to be even bigger than the WeWork operation on the commercial side. So it's interesting you mentioned there that Dubai is going to look at is looking at the co-living concept as well. Because I actually I remember covering that in um, oh in the newspaper when I was working for the newspaper. I covered that story just after COVID. And the reason why co-living can now happen in the UAE is because the laws changed. And the reason why maybe co-working could bounce back quite quickly here is also because the law has changed we now have green visas flexible working you know flexible contracts are allowed you know there was a whole sort of labor revolution here in the last year or so you mentioned at the beginning of the interview that it was a minuscule market here comparatively do you think that that is set to change in the uae 
Oh, that, that'll definitely change. And to what extent, who knows? But um, there's enough operators there that, have, that are operating at pretty close to, to capacity to you know, justify that those numbers will increase significantly. Um, and as you say, it's the ease of, of doing business. So it becomes a lot more attractive for operators who are looking into the Middle East and they might not have uh, looked at it previously because it was just the, too difficult as a barrier of entry to enter it. Um, and it appeals to the mass market when you've got um, ease of doing business. So from that perspective, yes, it will continue. Uh, we do anticipate that the, the centres will, um, you know, be part of everyday life in terms of CBDs across the UAE and the Middle East. You know, you look at um, the new construction, a lot of the developers and landlords, one of the first operators they look at is a co-working establishment to form a partnership or to go out on their own to be part of their new development. Hamish, fantastic to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the line. Hamish Troon there, Director of Colliers, author of a report on co-working in the UAE. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Here on The Agenda today, we are discussing co-working. That is after reports that the office sharing company WeWork is choosing to close some of its buildings around the world. Now, analysts are suggesting that the company, which, worth remembering, was once valued at $47 billion, could soon be filing for bankruptcy. Some reporters are saying that that could happen as soon as next week. And it has got us thinking about whether this sort of spectacular fall from grace could be because people just don't want to share offices anymore. Is it a sort of post-pandemic legacy? Is it a reflection that everyone just wants to work from home, for example? And when they were asking the question, this is for you, did COVID kill co-working? Joining me now is the co-founder and the CEO of a co-working company uh, called Let's Work. Uh, Hamza Khan is joining us on the line. Now, Hamza, I'm presuming that you don't think that COVID killed co-working. How's business? Hi, Georgia. How are you? Um, business is doing well, thanks. I definitely don't think COVID killed co-working at all. If anything, I think COVID accelerated the adaptation uh, or the, the adaption of, of co-working, not just in, here in the UAE, but also globally as well. Um, our peers in the industry, I mean, so Let's Work is quite different from, from WeWork and the, all the other co-working companies because we're essentially an app for co-working. So we are the class pass for co-working. So people sign up for a Let's Work membership and then they can access hundreds of various co-working spaces across the globe with a single app. So, um, so yeah, so I mean, if you if you look at um, IWG, um, which is the parent company for Regis, they've have they've, they've they announced recently that you know, their half year profits were up 48 uh, percent. Industrious, which is one of um, uh, WeWork's largest competitors in the United States, um, has, you know, reported surging demand as well. So I definitely don't think it's dead. I love that you've got this overview of co-working around the world. What is it that you think people are looking for from a co-working space? Because you must see which places are more popular, right? Yeah, I think it's 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 a number of elements that they really you know crave. They they crave community. So being around you know an interesting bunch of people from not just their own company but from other companies as well. Um, they crave sort of that that service feeling as well. So instead of um, for, for for I mean for the company owners and the business owners themselves, instead of 
of them, you know, going off and leasing their own office on, on a long term lease and then having to deal with all the headaches of and, and overheads of running your own office from maintenance and cleaning and electricity charges and everything. You just had to sort of have it all packaged together in, in one service package. So um, so I think that's what really pe- that people like, the convenience of it and the flexibility of it as well. How about things like free coffee and, you know, the sort of the networking opportunities, you know, all those sort of fancy cheese and, you know, cheese nights, for example. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously it's, 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 it's a nice value add. Um, I think, um, I mean, people really who are taking the decision for that, do it for, you know, the, the convenience, the flexibility and the financial aspect of it as well, because co-working and, and sharing a desk rather than, you know, getting your own office is, is a significant fraction of the price of getting, of, 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 of that. So I think, I think it's, it's typically a financial and convenience decision. And then the other value adds like the community and the cheese nights and the networking sort of are, are great to have. Uh, for sure. Just looking at the UAE market, do you think that co-working is going to accelerate here because of the changes to the visa system? You know, we have a much more liberal uh, workforce now, not sort of li- not liberal in the sense that they are that, that yeah. their political leanings. But you mean that the, the, the labor force, the, there's much more flexibility for them. Absolutely. But I think um, I think more than that is just the growing population in the country and just the, the lack of great um, you know, office-based solutions and grade A offices. And we're seeing that in Saudi as well. So both the UAE and Saudi, we're seeing a surge in population, we're seeing a surge in business, the economies are doing well. And um, people are just looking for great, you know, solutions for their workspaces. And I guess it kind of comes down to people getting so used to, um, you know, great restaurants, great, um, great services, great environments as well. And they're starting to expect the same from their office environment too. And, and you won't just see startups and freelancers going and working in co-working spaces now. You were starting to see enterprise customers, so large corporations as well, sort of uh, realizing that, hey, if we're doing, you know, hybrid work and we're only having, you know, people come into the office two or three days of the week, um, why don't we have them, you know, give them access to these other co-working spaces which are close to home? You know, not everyone has the luxury and the convenience of working from home with a separate study, with an isolation from your partner or your kids or your pets. So so I think we're, we're seeing that demand as well, which is quite exciting. Really fascinating stuff, Hamza. Thank you so much for joining us on the line this morning. That's Hamza Khan. He is the co-founder and CEO of Let's Work. Really interesting to hear about how the ecosystem is developing here. We've got lots of people getting in touch with us on the text lines. Thank you very much, uh, Matt. Uh, he's from One Space Dubai, and he says uh, we're an operator. I've actually also worked for Regis and WeWork. We have a hundred thousand square foot of fully occupied space. Co-working is a design feature now. It's here due to licensing laws uh, make it almost impossible to do it. Also, WeWork and Regis have less than 35% open plan space. The rest is made up of office space. From Matt's point of view, it is a design feature which we do offer, but you wouldn't necessarily base your business around it. Sam says, it's no doubt that COVID accelerated the shrinking of this market. However, sooner or later, and with the growth of office and businesses virtually, it was heading that way in a few years anyway. I doubt very much the future growth of this market, as predicted by some. Uh, Interesting comments from Sam there. He is a naysayer in this situation. Uh, This person, uh, Anonymous, says, uh, we work in my office. uh, Well, we work back office was an absolute shocker. Having worked for them and Regis, the difference is night and day. And we've also had a couple of other comments about we work that I don't think I can read out. I think I could end up being sued by them. But suffice to say, we work does not have many fans on the text line at the moment. 
Hello there and welcome back to The Agenda. Good indeed to have you with us. Right, we're going to turn our attention now to a really interesting story regarding navigation uh, because uh, I wonder what you use. Do you use Google Maps? Do you use Waze? Despite living here for nine years, I still seem to spend most of my time getting lost and that is usually because I can't for the life of me figure out the right junction, even when I'm using the sat-nav. You know when it tells you to sort of take the third lane and you end up taking the fourth lane and before you know it, you're halfway to Hatta. Um, and then you only have to take one bad junction here in Dubai, one bad turn, and you've added 15 minutes to your journey. Plus, with all the congestion, um, I spend a lot of time trying to find shortcuts and ending up them you know, being much longer cuts. So I was very interested to hear about a new navigation app that was launched last night by the Russian ride-hailing service Yango. Now, they say their Yango Maps app will make moving around Dubai seamless and comfortable. Earlier, I spoke to Ivegni Shilnikov. He is the product head of Yango Maps, and he brought me up to date with how it works. Yango Maps is an app for seamless navigation in Dubai. Uh, with our app, users can plan any routes, any fast, convenient routes for driving, walking, and public transport. Uh, and uh, what is the most unique part of the app is the roads in Yango Maps are displayed like in real life. So over 3,000 kilometers of Dubai roads have been mapped in highly details, reflecting all the lane markings, multi-level interchanges, tunnels, traffic lights, and even parking spots. And all of this helps users to enjoy accurate, uh, hassle-free navigation experience. Yango Maps is also uh, shows uh, true-to-life depictions of building, underground uh, crossings, and uh, even natural elements like trees. And we already uh, show all the key iconic Dubai landmarks in 3D. And it uh, totally helps to navigate the city in a more accurate way. So how does it work? Because obviously there are other sort of map options out there for people that they've you know, probably got used to, that they're probably using already. How have you managed to get quite so much detail in your system so quickly? Basically, there is two ways how we get all this information. By food, by people, by our colleagues who, who make pictures of the city, of the streets view of the city, while they're walking around different areas. And as well, we have the same collection of the data by cars. So we collect this data from Pictures, we are made every second while the car driving the streets. And based on these pictures and satellite pictures, we create these highly detailed maps. And so how will it work? So it's, it's very easy. Just download the app, choose the destination and build the route. That's super easy. Yeah. And you can, what's very important also to, to add, uh, you can search the destination not only by the address but also using the exact name of the tower. And is the app free to download? You don't have to pay anything for it? Yeah, it's absolutely free. It's absolutely free without any advertising. And who yeah. are you expecting to use it? Actually, everyone and anyone who wants to navigate the city easily. And it's not just an app for the, for the drivers. Even those who prefer public transport can check relevant bus stations and metro schedules and find the convenient routes for their journey. And those who are traveling by food 
can also benefit from streamlined working routes suggested by the app. So I think it helps almost all of us who is living in the city. Now, there's a lot of competition in this market already. I mean, I, for one, use both Google Maps and Waze. I sort of bounce them off each other, depending on which route seems the most sort of understandable. How are you doing this better than Waze or Google Maps or one of the other systems? Very good question. So we've analyzed <laughs> what our uh, competitors and uh, other navigation apps uh, do well and what's to need to be improved. So we did our best to do everything better. Firstly, let me just remind that one of the most uh, remarkable and the most uh, unique thing of our application is a 3D and highly detailed maps. And it's fully tailored for Dubai needs. You can easy see all these high details road markings lane markings i mean like in real life and use it in your turn by turn navigation and of course speed limits and cameras uh, we have as well so it's to my mind very useful uh, for car drivers but also as i mentioned earlier you can use uh, our uh, public transport um, navigation with our daily updated schedule of public transport. And the secondly, one of the top priority in our team to keep maps updated. So we add roughly 3 million updates every month. New businesses, roads, speed cameras, interchanges go live in Yango Maps shortly after they appear in real world. Evgeny Shilnikov, their product head of Yango Maps, describing their brand new navigation system uh, that they launched last night. I would love to know which uh, nav, sat nav you use. Uh, like I said, I, I'm a Waze girl or a Google Maps. Uh, I've got a new car recently and that's got an, a sort of in-house or an in-car sat nav system, which is utterly useless. <laughs> It has literally can't process the idea that Dubai's roads often work on many levels. And frequently I'll, I'll be on a bridge and it, it, you can see it. It thinks that I'm, in, I'm basically in the sea as far as it's concerned. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Now, I know we talk about artificial intelligence a fair old amount on the programme. But nine times out of ten, we are scaring the lives out of each other, frankly, <laughs> coming up with sort of... I mean, it doesn't help that you've got the people who are inventing it telling you that it's going to bring an end to the world, does it? But with all that fear, uh, there is, you know, there, it's also bringing some really significant rewards, not least in the field of medicine. And so I'm delighted to bring you a good news AI story today because new research shows that artificial intelligence is nearly twice as good at grading the aggressiveness of particularly rare forms of cancer um, this AI machine learning recognises details that are invisible to you and I, and they do it with really quite impressive accuracy, 82%. That is compared to a 44% success rate with your human 
a lab analysis. Um, so they're basically twice as good as us. We sort of knew that already, didn't we? Um, it's, all, it's all thanks to research from the UK's Royal Marsden Hospital and the Institute of Cancer Research say the discovery could also apply to more forms of cancers, potentially helping tens of thousands of patients every year. It's also shown really good promise, for example, in spotting breast cancers early, which is, as we know, a big problem out here in the UAE. So just how big a success could this be for the detection and treatment of potentially life-threatening diseases? Let's get the views of Professor Hamad Al-Shamsi. He is Director of the Oncology Services at Bajil Holding. He's also President of the Emirates Oncology Society. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me this morning on Microsoft Teams. How good is this news? You know, with your scientific hat, you know, rather than me and my sort of exuberant media hat, uh, would you would you rate it? Would you read, rate this study? First of all, good morning and thank you for having me. Uh, yes, actually, I did read the study. And let me just give you a little bit of background about what's the study about and what's the significance of this study. So basically, when we have or suspect cancer in any, 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 any person, what we do is we tend to do a biopsy and then take these cells from the biopsy, examine them under the microscope, and then come up with diagnosis. Sometimes we have challenges. In fact, even this morning, I had some cases that, you know, the cancer is so small in a very tricky area. It's very difficult to reach with a needle to, to be able to take a biopsy. Sometimes the patient condition, for example, they are too sick, they are too old, their lung function is not too good, so we, cannot, we are unable to do the biopsy. So this will cause some challenges today for diagnosis. What's happening with this study, which actually it's an excellent study, they are using um, or actually they are examining an area of something called radiomix which is a new area uh, which is concerned about the, the field of medical imaging. So basically, just in the layman uh, you know, language, we look at the images, and from the images we can tell this is a cancer. We can tell about from the texture, from the shape, from the intensity of the, of the, of the, of the mass in the images, uh, what type of cancer. This study was done specifically for uh, a rare type of of uh, sarcoma, which is a type of cancer that affects any part of the body. And uh, this is called erythropenia sarcoma, which is happening in a very uh, difficult area to reach in the abdomen. So uh, it's difficult to do a biopsy. So what they did, they took the images from confirmed uh, sarcomas and they examined them and they taught the machine or the AI about them, uh, how they look and the shape and the intensity. And then they examined in a new set and they found the accuracy is very high for this uh, AI machine to recognize this is a cancer without the need for doing biopsy. So that's that's simply that, you know, the, 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 the concept. But again, this is very important for us as a clinician because this can aid our ability to diagnose cancer in a very simple and fast way of doing it. So obviously this is being done at a sort of research level. They're trialing the artificial intelligence to see how good it is at detecting cancers. Is artificial intelligence already being used on a, on a sort of clinical level? Is it already being used in your practice, for example, or have we not reached that stage yet? No, actually we are. Uh, we are using AI to diagnose, especially in, in breast uh, cancer. In fact, uh, I had uh, colleagues visiting uh, a few weeks ago, and I, I told them, let's have a look at our, our AI machine, which is in practice. We are using this. So they, are, they, they, were, they actually were radiologists, and I told them, you know, look at these images. Do you think this is cancer? And we gave them 10 cases, 
and then we, we, we played the AI machine, and within second, their, their answers was, was compatible with the AI machine, and they were blown away with the, with the result. So AI is here, it is happening, but again, it's for breast cancer, we're using it now for breast cancer, but this is different because this is for sarcoma. Sarcoma is a very aggressive, different disease, but certainly that, you know, this is also gonna open more doors for being able to diagnose cancer at different type of cancers. But are we using AI now? Yes, we are. And trust me, it is amazing. So we've talked about using artificial intelligence to diagnose um, cancers. We've also talked about on this show about using artificial intelligence to accelerate drug testing and drug making, for example. Are there other ways in which artificial intelligence is being used in your field? Yes. In fact, there has been trials in the past uh, using, without mentioning any names for any companies, but there has been attempt in the past to uh, train the AI machine to make decisions about the cancer treatment. Unfortunately, it didn't work for the for various reasons because cancer decisions are, are very complex. For example, you have to keep in mind cancer diagnosis, type of cancer, the stage of the cancer, which can be done by the AI machine. But the AI machine cannot really assess the patient, the patient um, you know, preferences, uh, values, beliefs, so, so this the, the 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 study or the actually the project was halted because it failed to be able to make decisions that compatible with the patient choices and also the patient preferences. But I really think in the future it will help us a lot uh, in making decisions. We're using some pathways now for treating patients with cancer, but I really think for making final planning, you will always need some human touch when it comes to the final planning for cancer treatment. Professor Humaid Al-Shamsi, always a pleasure to have you join us on the Agenda programme on Dubai Eye 103.8. Thank you so much for your time. Really interesting to hear how artificial intelligence is being used in the treatment and the diagnosis of cancer. Answer. That is Professor Humaid Al-Shamsi, Director of Oncology Services at Bajil Holding and also President of the Emirates Oncology Society. A really interesting interview there. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. Welcome back to The Agenda. Now, if I were to say the words synchronised swimming... What would you think of? Close your eyes. Not if you're driving, but you know what I mean. Uh, Well, your thoughts are wrong because the sport is changing. Not only does it have a new name, which is artistic swimming, but there are also brand new events at the very top level of competition. And for the very first time, they are featuring men. That is right. Some of the sports leading teams taking part in this week's Pan American Games in South America are actually unisex. And among the squads that are hoping to secure qualification for none other than next year's Paris Olympics in that competition in South America is Team USA. They're featuring the 44-year-old former Cirque du Soleil star Bill May. And last night, producer Jennifer Crichton caught up with him in the team's hotel in Santiago to find out a little bit more about how the sport is changing. So the name was changed from synchronized swimming to artistic swimming because of the evolution. So there are more men in the sport. They're adding new events. And um, because of all of this, they changed the name because it's no longer 
eight people in the pool or two people in the pool trying to be synchronized. It's more athletic. It's more acrobatic. It's more of a really, really exciting show of athleticism. We have new rules and it's creating a more objective way of judging rather than subjective. And I think it's really good for athletes because, you know, now it's not based on an opinion by the judges. It's based on actual facts. They can look for very specific technical qualities and judge through that. So it's a, it's a really great evolution of our sport, and I'm excited for people to see it. Tell me how you've come to find yourself on the team, because presumably when this is effectively a new event and it's the first time that men have been able to compete, how have you gotten to this point when it hasn't been something you could formally compete in until now? <laughs> yeah, so in 2015, they introduced the mixed duet, and I competed there. We won the first gold medal for the mixed duet. And then I competed at the next world championships in 2017 and 2019. And then I retired and I thought my career was over. I was at Cirque du Soleil. I was going to live my life as happy as I could ever be. And then I got the calls and they were going to put the men into the Olympics. And would I try out, you know, and most of the team is at least 20, even 25 years younger than me. So I thought there's no way I have a chance. And I tried out, I made the team and now not to sound cliche, but I'm living the dream. So this is an opportunity that for me, I didn't think that would happen, but now it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I mean, this team, they're my heroes, the way that they work, the strength, the power, the way that they just go about everything. They're so determined and so focused and their goals are so strong that to be able to swim with this team, it's an opportunity. It's a gift and it's a blessing that only comes maybe once in a life. And for me, probably, you know, especially We talk a lot about the importance of equality in sport. And most of the time when we're having that conversation, it's going in the opposite direction. It's about giving women opportunity to compete in sports that they haven't before. What sort of preconceptions and and ideas are you coming up against and potentially challenging by competing in the sport that you compete in? Well, I think there's a a misconception that it's a female-only sport. And now you can see that there's men in the sport. It's growing. It's like dance or ice skating or figure skating, ice dancing, you know, those sports are as popular as any other sport in the world. So the sport's evolving and it's becoming more athletic and men are in the sport not to compete against the females, but to complement them. Each male and female have different strengths. So bringing those strengths together and combining the strength creates something really incredible, athletic and powerful. Tell me a bit about the routines that you're performing, if you can. (laughs) Yes. So definitely each each routine, we have a technical program, we have a free program, and then we have a the newest Olympic routine is the acrobatic routine. We have a high degree of difficulty, probably the highest degree of difficulty in the world. We have the best flyer in the world. I mean, if you can imagine, we can't touch the bottom ever in these routines. And to have someone being thrown, you know, like 20 feet out of the water. I mean, it is unbelievable how high our flyer jumps and how high we push her. I mean, you know, it's like a strength of gods underwater, like this team... I can't say enough great things about them. And then our coaches are the ones that propel us to reach these new heights. It sounds like it's an extraordinarily physical sport. How much time will you have to prepare for the Olympics? And what goes into preparing for a tournament of that scale? So we have a pretty busy schedule. So after the World Championships in July, we had a week off because then we were coming to the Pan American Games here in Santiago. So after this, we'll have three weeks off, actually. And then we'll get ready for our World Championships in Doha. After Doha, we'll have a week or two off. And then we start training for our World Cup tournaments. 
and then we go to the game. So up until the games, we won't have more than a couple of weeks off because, you know, it's our goal, it's our focus, and we're strong. We need rest and we take the rest, but we also know that we need to train and train hard. And the focus that needs to come into it and everyone's committed to that. And that's what makes this team so strong. And what's the ultimate goal? What would you like to see? What would success at the Olympics look like for you? You know, success for me is being there. It's swimming our best swim for the world to see that this is the best team in the world. You know, of course, we want to win gold. If we don't win gold, we want a podium. And I want the team to see that men are now involved in the sport. Men have a place in the sport. And the U.S. is at the forefront of that. Really interesting to hear there from Bill May, athlete, artistic swimmer in conversation there with producer Jennifer Crichton. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda with Georgia Tolley on Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. Okay, so we're past Halloween. I hope that went well for you. We are now well into November. And for some people, that can mean only one thing. Producer Jennifer Crichton joins me in the studio. Do I dare ask? What's the deal here? Well, it's official. Mariah Carey has declared the festive season open. Last night, the matriarch of every Christmas compilation album took to social media and shared a hilarious, frankly, video of her being brought out of the deep freeze for the season. Take a listen. I love that song. <laughs> so if Mariah says it, it must be right. Although she does have a vested interest. How much do you think she makes out of Christmas? Oh, squillions, squillions. Well, the most recent figure I could find was 2021. It claimed that all I want for Christmas is you had netted her a cool $60 million at that point, plus a cheeky wee $3 million every year extra in royalties. So... I mean, it's in her best interest to start Christmas early, I guess. But nonetheless, if you're someone who celebrates, that song is generally a sign that it's time to get the tree up and start. Is it decking the halls? What does that actually mean? Decking the halls with boughs of holly. Decorating. It means tra-la-la-la. So is it? Tra-la-la. Have you got your decorations up? No, no. I have a strict. I have a strict rule. It's the first of December or the closest weekend into December. That's the rule. We're the same. First weekend of December. But these people had mixed opinions. 6th of November is when Starbucks launches holiday drinks and red cups. And so that's when my tree goes up. I have a habit of putting things off until the last minute. So it's the same with Christmas preparations. I would be waiting until the last week before Christmas or the week of Christmas for me to do my Christmas shopping and decorations. For Mariah Carey, it's always Christmas. But it's not Christmas now. It's too early. For me, Christmas starts about a third of the way into December. I want to continue that tradition, but I don't think my kids are up for it. They're like, Christmas is one day in a year and it's February, mom. You've got to put that Christmas tree down. So it's worth noting there that for our Filipino colleagues, this whole topic is very much past the point of relevance because in the Philippines, celebrations start in September. 
As Louise da Costa from Tag 91.1 explained to us last month, it's a celebration that kicks off early every year without fail. Midnight, by the way, of September 1st, on Tag 91.1, we play the very first Christmas song of the year, and everyone was just ecstatic. We were getting messages about people waiting up for it, and, and, and it was wonderful because we're known for celebrating it early because we can't get enough of that Christmas spirit. Just anticipating all that holiday cheer that we're about to have is enough to pick up our spirits. So we connect the burr in December to the last four months of the year that end that way. So the moment September hits, we're like, yeah, it's Christmas. <laughs> we were astonished by that, this idea of the burr months. But back when we found out about that, we chatted to Dubai-based Filipino influencer Eon Gonzaga. He's better known as Boy Dubai. And he explained that for many, it's just a good reason really to get friends and family together for a few extra months of the year. People love countdowns and one of the most celebrated season, in fact, it's the best season in the Philippines, is Christmas. And I think we just find ways, you know, to make it longer than just a season or just a day. So we thought when the burst starts, why not, you know, put it up, let the music starts, you know, in the malls, everywhere, in the houses, because we love parties, you know. Okay, come clean. Have you already put the decorations up? Have you started eating mince pies? When <laughs> does Christmas start for you? Get in touch, 4001, or you can WhatsApp us on 04871 Can I just say, on that front, I don't like a mince pie. I hate raisins. Yeah, I'm the same. Can't stand them. Can't but stand them. my husband has celiac disease. And whenever he sees a mince pie... He gets very excited. If it's a gluten-free mince pie, he will eat it. And he found some in July in Dubai. I mean, it's wrong. It's just wrong. There shouldn't be anything in the shops until after Halloween. And anyone who eats a mince pie before the 1st of December is odd. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. We're going to turn our attention to our sporting headlines now because a little earlier I was joined by Chris McCarty and I'm afraid he was feeling a little bit tender after his team Man United's latest defeat. I stayed up quarter past midnight, of course, with the clocks changing back in the UK at the weekend. Four hour time difference now, so quarter past 12. I was sat on my sofa, eyes drooping, and I sat through Manchester United nil, Newcastle United three. Newcastle's biggest win over United in 93 years. Uh, Biggest away win, that is. And give all the credit in the world to Newcastle, but Man United are wretched. Eight defeats in 15 this season. The writing is on the wall. And I've changed my tune. I think Eric Ten Hag, the manager, will be lucky if he's still in a job by Christmas. I think he might be lucky to still be in the job by the weekend. Well, it's Fulham away on Saturday afternoon. It's the lunchtime kickoff. So what's that? Four thirty here, twelve thirty back in the UK. If they lose that and they lose that handsomely, come next Monday, the Dutchman may well be handed as P45. It can't go on much longer like this. I, I mean, I have to say, I, I feel your pain. I, I'm very sympathetic Thank to you, it. Georgia. Yeah, I, I, I don't have a football team to support, so I so I can feel... I see none of that in your face. Those words don't compute. Well, I, I'm smiling because it's, it's football. <laughs> I know it is. You're feigning caring and feigning interest. You really just don't care. It's fine. It's totally but fine. But you do, and, and you're sad. I'm and sad. I, and I I'm feel, a sad man. I feel for you as a colleague. I, your wife must be happy. 
having a nightmare with you at the moment. There's nothing worse than a man whose football team is yeah. losing. They're like bears with sore heads. That's exactly what Just I am. Just woken up after hibernation. Um, let's talk about another bad night for Arsenal. Yes, they were beaten 3-1 at West Ham. Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal boss, he has taken responsibility for that defeat. He made six changes to his starting 11. I guess the other big story from last night was Bayern Munich beaten by third division opposition in the German Cup, bowing out at the second round for the third time in four years for Bayern, a 96th minute winner. It's not often we've mentioned this club, if at all, on the airwaves of Dubai, 103.8, but well done, Saarbrücken. And I'm Saarbrücken. hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Third tier of German football, knocking the German powerhouses of Bayern München out of the German Cup. They sound like a, a red cabbage dish you'd have at Christmas. They absolutely they do. They do, don't they? Yeah. Uh, okay, tennis. Novak Djokovic, a winner. Yes, he is. Yeah, first singles match in over six weeks for Novak Djokovic. Of course, the 24-time major champion playing in the Paris Masters. He's looking to win a record-extending seventh Paris Masters. He was too good last night for Argentina's Thomas Martin Echeverri, winning through in 6-3, 6-2. Up next is Talon Griekspoor in the last 16. Not a name that I know well. So Novak Djokovic with Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz already out of this Paris Masters you've got to make the Serbian uh, showing uh, no signs of slowing down you've got to make him the favourite for that magnificent seventh Paris Masters I think it's fair to say that New Zealand are going to be feeling pretty yeah. sick of South uh, Africa we, we should give a big shout out to the Kiwis uh, do reach out to friends and loved ones let them know that you're okay because uh, beaten by Australia in the cricket on Saturday afternoon they lost the Rugby World Cup final on Saturday night of course to the Kiwis they played the, uh, the South Africans sorry they played South Africa in the cricket yesterday and they were smashed oh, no. 190 run defeat for the Black Caps New Zealand so that's three defeats in the last kind of four or five days that will be hurting that will be stinging the Kiwis South Africa they're on the brink of cl- clinching that semi-final spot at the Cricket World Cup New Zealand has still work to do Afghanistan will maybe be giving them a sleepless night or two but yes a bad day at the office for the Kiwis in the cricket I have to admit Brandy seemed alright this morning ah she's fine she doesn't she doesn't, watch like it. she doesn't care sport <laughs> ok there is more cricket today though yeah more. there is it's more more it's always more never ending match 33 oh, of wow. this cricket world cup yeah, it's a marathon not a sprint Georgia and it's <laughs> India the hosts six wins from six looking to make it seven when they take on Sri Lanka today and given uh, Sri Lanka have performed they've been a bit inconsistent have Sri Lanka I'd expect another handsome victory for the host nation that one off at 12.30 India against Sri Lanka match 30 of the Cricket World Cup. Chris McCarty, always a pleasure to have him in the studio. Of course, our head of sports, uh, but also the co-host of your Drive Time show, Off Script, which is on air this afternoon from five o'clock. The agenda is live Monday to Friday from 10am till 1pm.